Are we ready? Is it time? Hello. I guess it is. Good morning. Welcome to Bowling Springs Baptist. We are so glad that you are here today. Uh, this morning, I'm excited to be preaching, beginning a new sermon series. In the Old Testament, God tells Moses, take my people and go to the land that I have promised you. And in Exodus 33, Moses is interceding on behalf of a disobedient people. And God tells Moses, he was, he's reminding him, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses' response to this, I want, I want us to hear this and prepare ourselves for worship this morning with these words. Moses' response to God, he says this, he says, no way, no way I want to go anywhere if your presence does not go with us. Do not lead us up from here. In Exodus 33, 15, Moses is saying, God, I don't want to do anything if you don't go with me. As a church, as individuals, and as a church family, that is my prayer for our time of worship here this morning, is that God's presence would be here in a mighty way. This morning, we are opening our worship with a song that I thought growing up was the Baptist anthem, because we sang it all the time, and that was Victory in Jesus. It was the final song of E.M. Bartlett. Uh, the hymn also became his best known and most embraced song. The song is an optimistic reminder of the hope of heaven. It reminds us that we have won the victory over death and that as believers, God's presence goes with us not only in this life, but we will enjoy his presence forever because he has won the victory. Victory over sin and over death. The last verse says, I heard about a mansion he's built for me in glory. I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing in the old redemption story. Some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Let's pray as we begin our service this morning. God, we're thankful that your son, our savior, has given us purpose in this life and hope for the next. We, like Moses, do not want to go forward as individuals or as a church unless your presence goes with us. Bless this service with an outpouring of your presence and may your presence lead and guide us in a closer walk with you in the coming days. We are thankful that in you we have the victory over death and the grave. Amen. Our hymn is number 627, Victory in Jesus. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
the children to come forward for lesson on the steps. Well, how are you guys today now that summer is really started? Are you been good, James? What you been doing in the field with Pop? Working, 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 working. You know, he needs to let you have a vacation sometime, don't you think? I do too. All right, I want to ask you something. How many of you know what this is? Hey, Case, what is this? A map. What do we do with the map? We go everywhere with the map so we don't get lost. That is the best answer I've heard. Thank you. Julian, you're good. But how many of you ever see one of these or you might see this with the phone and... You can call people if you want. That's right. But how many of you have heard the person talking on the phone when you don't know where you're going and they're trying to tell you the right directions? Does mom and daddy ever listen to the phone when they're going like a GPS? Yeah. Yes, they do. Do they do what the GPS tells them to do? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I don't do that. And I've been known to ride around a block four or five times because I know the phone's not telling me the right direction. But I know somebody who does tell us the right direction to go in, and who might that be? God, God that's exactly right. We don't really need a map, do we? Where's our map? In the Bible. In the Bible. And then where, is, where does it go when we don't have a Bible? Where is God? God is in our heart. And he is telling us no matter what direction we're going in, whether it's good, but sometimes when it's bad, he corrects us. But you know what? He never quits loving us. He never quits loving us. So it doesn't matter if it's the phone or the GPS or the map. When we've got God in our heart, we will never go in the wrong direction, will we? And I have to listen so that I don't ride around the block four times waiting for her to say, listen, person, you're going in the wrong direction because I've got God in my heart and I know if I listen, even when I do something that's not exactly right, he comes back to me and I feel him and I know he loves me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today for these special children. We thank you for the time that they have away from school to enjoy being outside, being at camp, being with their family and their friends. It's vacation time, Lord, for lots of us, and it's time to rejoin our hearts with our families. But we never forget, Lord, where our heart is, and that's with you. As you protect us and guide us and keep us on the right road, forgive us when we veer off that road and bring us back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I pray this morning, I want to just say a word of thanks um, for many of you and your calls or texts or concern for Renee. She is still recovering from pneumonia. She had um, a full-blown case of that, and she is still weak and only doing what she absolutely has to do. And so continue to keep her and us as a family in, in your thoughts and prayers. We would certainly be grateful for that. Uh, we certainly want to remember several who have lost loved ones this last week.
We want to remember Pat Green and the loss of a family member this week. And we also want to remember the family of Bobby Trexler. And there may be other concerns that you have this morning that uh, may be too private, too personal to mention that are weighing on you. And so I'm going to give us just a moment to lift those up to the Lord in prayer. And then I will lead us in our time of prayer this morning. Let's pray together. God, it's good to be still and to come into your house of worship. We have so many things that distract us, so many things that are clamoring for our attention. But Lord, help us for these next few moments to turn our attention to you, to be open to what you would have to speak to us. Lord, I'm grateful that you're not only a God that has redeemed us, but Lord, your presence goes with us, leading us and guiding us, making us new. You haven't redeemed us and and left us to be, but Lord, you walk with us through this journey of life, through the ups and downs, through the mountaintops and through the valleys, and for that, we are so grateful. Lord, help us to set our mind on things above. Help us to experience a little bit of heaven now when we speak with words of kindness and forgiveness, words of truth, words of grace. Teach us to act justly and to love mercy. For when we do this, we are building your kingdom here on the earth as it is in heaven. Father, we do pray today for those that are sick in our church family, those that may be present this morning, but many of which are home recovering from an illness or dealing with new news from a doctor. We do pray, Lord, for your comfort and your peace and ultimately your healing touch for these families. We pray you would be the good shepherd to those who are grieving this day from a recent loss or some from a loss from some time ago. But Lord, we're grateful that again, that you walk with us during these tough times. Teach us your truths today, your truths about the way to heaven, how we can bring about your kingdom here on earth. Forgive us, God, when we've been so earthly minded that we've not given attention to the greater things of your rule and reign in our world. Oh, how we look forward to the day that our victory will come to fruition and we will see you face to face. God, we pray for your blessing on each one here today. Again, teach us, guide us, help us all to say it's good to have been in your house as we leave this place. Bless our missionaries both here at home and on foreign fields. Provide for them and bless them with fruitful ministries. Lord, we love you and we commit this time to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn is number 548, When We All Get to Heaven, 548. If you're able, please stand and join in singing.
please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for giving this beautiful place to worship you freely. As we come, you have given us so much more than we deserve as we come to give just a small portion of that back. Please remember to let us do it cheerfully, freely. Thank you for letting us be here again today. And for Jesus' name, amen.
love that song and the lyrics in there. It says, go to something about peace and laugh on glory side. I have a lot of different pictures and uh, symbols and things in my office, but one of the favorite things I have in there is a picture of Jesus laughing. And some of you have seen that um, and commented on it, or I think it may be outside of my office right now. And uh, as we go into our text this morning, the disciples have been in the upper room with Jesus and they're not laughing. Jesus has said that he is going away and there are no smiles on their faces. And to those troubled hearts, we find the words of John 14. If you have your Bibles or there in the pew, I, I was trying to find the page number, but I was picking up the wrong Bible. I think you have the NRSV and I kept picking up RSVs and so I can't give you the right page number, but the, the words are on the screen. These are words of Christ, John 14, one through six. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. grateful that when we read scripture, there's something about these words that are unlike any other words that we would find in some classic novel or all the wonderful books that we're provided with today. There's something about God's word that does exactly what that song says. It changes us and it makes us new. It's not always easy, but it certainly does change us. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series called The Unseen World. I grew up in a church where, or an environment, and some of you maybe remember from decades past where we heard a lot about heaven. We heard some about hell too, but we heard about heaven. And over the last several months, when I was praying about kind of where to go this summer with our sermon series, um, this this theme kept coming back to me. I know I've talked to several of the staff about it, but this idea of the unseen world, not only does that talk about heaven, which we're going to do that for the next three Sundays. This morning, we look at words from Jesus about heaven. Next week, we're going to be looking at words from Paul. And then in three weeks, we'll be uh, hearing what John has to say in Revelation 21 about the new heavens and the new earth. And so after that, we're going to look at angels. Um, there's a lot that goes on around us in everyday life that I think God is in, and, and there is a presence at times of an angel. 
that is with us, and we're going to talk about dreams. God spoke through dreams. He still speaks through dreams. Now, some of our dreams, we don't need to interpret as God saying anything. Some of those dreams are just figuring out the day, and they're, they're crazy. Uh, but nevertheless, I still believe that God speaks through dreams. And so we're going to talk about some of these things that we don't talk about a lot in church. Now, we used to talk, like I said, about heaven a lot, and we still do. But maybe not so much about angels or dreams. And so you pray for me. I've enjoyed some studies uh, over the last several weeks in preparing for these. And so you pray for me as we go down this road together. But a theme verse, each week we'll have a, a central text like we've had today, John 14. But each week I want to read at some point in the service uh, this, these two verses that I'm about to read now. Um, Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. They're not on your screens. And I, again, I was trying to find a page number in your pew Bible because of that. And I had the wrong Bible up here. But there's Ephesians, Philippians, um, uh, and Colossians there in the New Testament. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 reads like this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This will be a theme verse that will carry us this summer throughout these sermons. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you this morning thought about things above? Would your hand go up? On a normal day, if we were asked that question, would we be able to respond that yes, I have been thinking about things above? I'm afraid on most days though, we are guilty of saying that unfortunately we're thinking much more about the things of earth than we are the things of heaven. So over these next several weeks, I invite you to join me as we imagine, as we think about the things of heaven. I have a frame here that I think I used several years ago. And I, many of you remember, I picked on Renee, uh, and I'll still do it again, even though she's not here this morning. I can really pick on her right now, right? Um, but she came home with this from a yard sale. I'm like, what are you doing? What, what are you gonna do with it? She said, no, it's just beautiful. I said, well, what are you gonna put in it? She said, nothing. She said, I'm just gonna put it up on the wall. I said, well, it's a frame. You got to put something in it. And she said, no, it's just, so anyway, this uh, finds its way in different places of our house. Uh, you know, when you get tired of something being in one place, you move things around. And so we have this beautiful old frame that she found at a yard sale. But as we move forward over these next several weeks, this frame will be in here. It may be positioned in different ways or something each Sunday, but I want us to imagine. Uh, back in 2001, there was a song that you might've heard of. It was the, it has now, in 2019, it's been the most popular and the best-selling Christian song of all time, a little song called I Can Only Imagine. And it takes us right to where we are going this morning and right where we're going all summer long. Uh, what would it look like when we see Jesus' face? Will we stand? Will we bow? Will we, how will we respond? But I want us to imagine this summer as we think about the things of heaven, that'll look a little bit different for each of us as we meditate on the fact that there'll be no more death and no more crying, no more tears, and the fact that we'll see Jesus face to face. Sure, the scripture talks about streets of gold and pearly gates and things like that, but what do you imagine when you think about heaven? When, that, when there's activity going on around us and we don't know how God is working in the lives of others, and how he's moving or how this person was here and now they're not. And we, we you know, are there angels among us to ask that question? 
Um, so I hope you will, as you see this frame, I may even move it down the hall during the middle of the week or something, but as you see it, will you think about the things above with me this summer and imagine what that, what that might look like? I wanna start with a few disclaimers about heaven. The first one is I haven't been there. There's a lot of people who have, I think, certainly had an experience and they've written books about it. Some have done quite well doing that. Uh, I do know of one that came out later that was false and the, the family said that, you know, we made this up. I think it was called The Boy Who Died and Went to Heaven. But most of you have heard of the book Heaven is for Real. It's a wonderful book. Uh, had a good, uh, good movie that came out about it. Uh, there's one called 90 Minutes in Heaven and there's others. But I want to just say, state the obvious this morning. I haven't been there, so I can't tell you everything there is to know about heaven. And that's the next disclaimer, is I don't know everything even that the Bible says about heaven. I am learning along with you as I begin this study. This is the first time we focused on it uh, intently uh, from, a sun, from, from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. So I am learning along with you this summer as we grow in this area together. At some point in this series, you may disagree with me and something that I say about heaven, and that's okay. Uh, let's talk during the week. And it may be that you're showing me something that I haven't thought of or haven't seen. And so, uh, or maybe I could do that for you, but let's, let's talk some this week. If you're saying, Keith, I'm not sure what you said last Sunday is in line with what I believe. And so let's talk about that. Also, I want to speak of a few misconceptions uh, about heaven. Number one is that it'll be boring. You know, oftentimes, unfortunately, cartoons and media have not done us a favor when it comes to heaven. I mean, what is the first thing we see? We see somebody in a white robe playing a harp on a cloud. Am I right? That's what we see. And if that's what heaven is, some of us are thinking, that's, how do we get excited about that? Uh, but heaven, we know, will certainly not be boring. It is the absence of everything evil. It is the presence of everything good. No more tears and no more death. Another misconception is that it's this never-ending church service. Now, I know for most of you, that just sounds wonderful. Um, never-ending music and hymns and preaching. Um, but some have this idea that it's this never-ending worship service. We've heard that oftentimes at concerts, sometimes big concerts or youth rallies or things like this saying we're going to be worshiping God forever. We will be worshiping God forever. And there, I'm sure, will be times of, of worship that may look something similar to us today. I'm, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, um, it, it will not be this idea of this never-ending church service. I know of some who aren't in this building this morning uh, who says that would just be terrible um, for them. But another misconception is it's all about the streets of gold, the pearly gates, and other wonderful and beautiful descriptions. And I've just simply written no. For the most part, when Jesus talks about heaven, he's not concerned with what it looks like. And we see that today. He does talk about something specific, though. Talks about dwelling places today. But rather, Jesus is concerned about how you get yourself in. And not only does he talk about that in John 14, but he also talks about it in Matthew 9 and in other places about the kingdom of God. And it's associated, and we may deal with that tension that exists between Jesus and the things that he says about getting into heaven and the things that Paul says about it's all grace. And so we may deal with that some more this summer as we continue. The fact is the kingdom of God has begun now. We talked about that last week. Uh, Jesus in the Lord's prayer said, your will be done on earth or may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven will be heaven because we are with God. It will not be heaven because of streets of gold or pearly gates. Uh, it will be heaven because we are in the presence of God. 
As we dive into our text today, there's one word I want us to keep in mind. When you open up a gospel and you turn to somewhere that's in the middle or further in the back of the gospel, there's one thing you must keep in mind and that's context. What is going on when we pick up the scripture here in John 14? And we see in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus again has, as I shared earlier, has shared the Passover meal, has washed the disciples' feet. Um, He predicts his betrayal. Uh, with Judas and he says, uh, what you do, do quickly. So all these things have happened. And so in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus is saying, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me as I said to the Jews. Now also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. Later down in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes here for just a moment. They've been walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, seeing his miracles, seeing him walk on water and seeing him heal the sick and the lame, the blind, bring sight to the blind. They've, they know they're beginning to get a better idea of who Jesus is. They always struggled with fully understanding who Jesus is, but into this environment of walking with Jesus and living with Jesus, all of a sudden Jesus now tells them, I'm leaving you. And by the way, where I'm going, you cannot come, is what he tells them at first here in chapter 13. So with that in mind, Jesus, I'm sure, again, like I said, there were no smiles on the disciples' faces at this point. They're sitting there and they're full of questions. They're a little discouraged. This is someone they've walked with, they've lived with. They know that there is life, there is something special about this prophet, about this man. Many of them were related to Jesus. And so they've known Jesus for longer than these three years that they've traveled with him as disciples. So they know him quite well. And for Jesus to say that he will not be with them anymore, it kind of crushed their spirits. So that's where we pick up chapter 14, verse one. And Jesus says, the first words, do not let your heart be troubled. The word troubled could also be translated agitated or disturbed. And what I find interesting about this is that uh, Jesus words it in a way as if we have something to, um, uh, to do to affect this troubled spirit. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. There's something that we can do, that they can do about their troubled hearts. Do not let your heart be troubled or agitated. And then I ask the question, what do you do when you don't know what else to do? You trust. It's like, God, I don't understand your will. I don't understand your ways, but I trust you. Have you been there? I think I know many of you in the room quite well, and I've been there. When you don't know the answers, you're searching so hard to find them. Jesus says to the disciples in this setting, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on to say about something about where he is going. He says, in my father's house, are many dwelling places. In the King James Version, which I believe, if I remember right, was translated more from Latin Vulgate, he uses the word mansions in the translations. In my father's house are many mansions, and some of you may remember that, uh, or may still use the King James and, and see that word there in your Bibles this morning. In my father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. Many may remember 
like I said, seeing that in your Bible, the word mansions. But mansions doesn't always mean what it does to us today. When we think of mansion, we think of the Biltmore House. We think of uh, Moses Cone uh, Manor up on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We may think of some other house, um, uh, you know, that in the mountains or at the coast or something. When we think of a mansion, we think of a huge, a huge place and a lot of land. But it simply means abode or one's dwelling place. In the Greek, it's mona, and I may be mispronouncing that word, but it has this idea of an abode or a home that has more than enough room. To us on earth, everything has a price tag. We talk about how big or how many bedrooms the home has and bathrooms and this and that, how many square feet the house has, and those things can be at times important to us. Size is important on this earth, but it is not as important in heaven. Um, I think it'll be a comfortable place. I don't think it'll necessarily be a mansion. I think we'll have more than adequate room. I was listening to someone this week preach about the fact that it would not be mansions, but it would simply be a large space, again, a dwelling place where we can abide with Christ. Jesus was saying to his disciples, in my father's house, there is room. I feel like at times my mind goes back to the birth narrative and to the story that we learn of Christ coming into the world when there was no room in the inn. I feel like here he's telling his disciples, humankind may shut you out, inns may fill up, but my father's house, you will never be shut out. As we continue in verse two, we learn some incredible truths that I want to point out this morning. We learn first of Jesus' honesty. He says, after he speaks of the many dwelling places, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. The disciples had been with Jesus long enough now to know that Jesus spoke truth. He talked about the cross that they must carry. And they were beginning to sense that. They were beginning to feel that when Jesus would go into a town and we would heal people and uh, the crowds would, Jesus oftentimes, many times had to escape and he barely did with his life because of something that he said or something that he did. And so the disciples know that what Jesus is saying is not always easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. So they know when they told him, when Jesus spoke these words, if it were not so, I would have told you, they knew that Jesus means what he says. First, we see again, the honesty of Jesus. Barclay, a little commentator writes, Jesus was not a leader who tried to bribe men with promises of an easy way. He tried to challenge them into greatness. Jesus was always, always transparently honest with his disciples and with us about the hardships and the joys that come with following him. And let me emphasize both of those. As I've said in weeks past, following Jesus is not always easy, but yet following Jesus also comes with a peace and a joy that surpasses all understanding. The second truth is Jesus walks ahead of us. He says there in verse two, I go to prepare a place for you. One of the great truths of the New Testament is that Jesus goes on in front of us. Jesus blazed the way to heaven and to God so that we might follow. This only builds when Jesus later says, I am the way. In verse three, Jesus tells us of his ultimate triumph. As we sang and opened our worship with victory in Jesus, he reminds us, I will come again. We have victory in Christ. We have victory over sin, victory over death because of what Christ has done for you and for me. He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you and for me, spent three days in the grave and rose again victorious over death. And because of that, you and I sit here this morning and worship and sing songs of praise and you and I have hope for an eternity in heaven. Jesus promised them, I will come again. I don't know about you, but 
again, decades ago, it seemed like uh, people were either not talking about uh, what that would look like in Christ coming again, or that's all they could think about uh, is Christ coming again. But he does tell us here, I don't know all the answers as to how all that will play out. Paul certainly gives us a, a description of that. But Jesus says here to the disciples who are discouraged, who just heard their master say, where I'm going, you can't come. And now Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He tells them, I will come again. There's one thing that is for certain that I think we can all agree on. History is not going nowhere. It is going somewhere. History must have a consummation. And, and at that consummation will be the triumph of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the final consummation of Jesus, this world seems to either disregard it again or cannot think of anything else. But Jesus promises us here, I will come again. You and I have victory because of Christ, his death and his resurrection. The last truth here before we get into Thomas is that the Christian, for the Christian, heaven is where Jesus is. When he said, so that, so that where I am, there you may be also. When we love someone with all that we are, it is enough to know that we can be with them. Again, what I'm about to say is Keith talking, but I don't really care about streets of gold or gates to a city made out of pearls. Heaven is going to be heaven because we are in the presence of Almighty God and with his son, Jesus Christ. To me, and I don't mean, I mean no disrespect to the streets of gold. I'm sure, that's nice, that sounds good. But heaven's not gonna be heaven to me because of some of the descriptions that we find in our scripture. Heaven is gonna be heaven because we are dwelling, we are in the presence of almighty God. And that is something as scripture tells us, and I think it's 1 Corinthians, it's hard to imagine what that will look like. So in verse four, Jesus says, you know the way where I'm going. And then we find Thomas. Jesus said back in John 7, he said, for a little while longer I am with you and then I go to him who sent me. Jesus has told his disciples more than once that he's leaving and that he's going to his father. But it really hit home here. This is almost like a farewell discourse that John, I mean, that Jesus begins in John 14. You know, he's saying, um, he's, he's comforting them. He's reminding them that he's still going to his father. But yet the disciples are having a hard time accepting this. Today, I'm thankful that among Jesus' disciples, we have one who could never say that he understood when he did not understand. Does that make sense? How many times does that happen uh, in class? Everybody understand? Yeah, 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 we got it. I'm sure Bob Lamb's heard that several. Yeah, we got it, we got it. And the professor, teacher, or the person sitting in the seats, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, math teachers probably hear that more than anybody here in, uh, uh, here in the sanctuary this morning. But... It is this question from a doubting man that led Jesus to say one of the greatest things that he ever said. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not, where, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an incredible statement for us, but it would have meant even more to the Jews who heard it for the first time. Jesus took three of the basic concepts of the Jewish faith and made them tremendously relevant or he made the tremendous claim that in him all three found their realization 
and fulfillment in him. When he said, I am the way, Jews talked much about the way. Others should walk uh, in the ways of God. He talked about the ways of God. God said to Moses, you shall walk in the ways of the Lord your God hath commanded you. This was a word that the Jewish audience were, was used to hearing. Jews would have remembered those famous words of Isaiah found in Isaiah 30, 21 that says, your ears will hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk in it. We hear from the psalmists in the Psalms where it says, teach me thy ways, O Lord. So when Jesus said, I am the way, what did he mean? Well, I want to share an illustration that'll help, hopefully help with this. But if somebody's new here this morning and I want to try to lead them to uh, Shirley Bridges or Terry Hamrick's Sunday school class. So those of you who are members here and active here, you know that that is the furthest point from this place where we meet now to that backside of the church. I could tell them, you go down this long hall and when you come to the office door, turn left. Now they could, they could understand that. Now, when you go down the hall, at some point, the hall will turn right. So turn right, then turn back to the left. And then when you see the double doors in front of you that go outside, don't go outside, but turn right and go back to that back corner. And there you'll find the Sunday school class. Does everybody know now exactly how to get there if you're new this morning? I don't think so. But what we could do is just say, come and I'll show you the way. Come with me and I will show you the way. At this point, the person walking them to the class would be the way. Jesus is saying that to his disciples and to us this morning. He's saying, follow me. I will show you the way to the father. And he's also promised us it won't always be easy. He has promised us there'll be peace and joy along the way, but he also has promised us that it will not be easy, but he is the way he embodies the way. He also said, I am the truth. The Jews were accustomed to hearing the Psalmist say, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Psalm 119, he writes, I have chosen, the psalmist writes, David did, I have chosen the way of truth. Many people has, have told us the truth and no one ever embodied the truth until Jesus. Um, someone who is trying to teach morality and character can do that to the best of his or her ability. But at the same time, we all sitting in a room know that we're human. We know that we're flawed. But yet when Jesus spoke of truth, there was something special about his words. A man who teaches moral truth, his character makes all the difference in the world. Moral truth cannot be conveyed solely in words. It must be conveyed in example. And Jesus lived that out before his disciples, before us today, saying, I am the way, I am the truth. And his last statement, I am the life. Again, Jews would have recalled this often being used in several places in the Old Testament. I think of Proverbs where it says the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. He is the way of life that keepeth instruction. Or God, you will show me the path of life. In the final analysis, what every human is searching for is life. What makes life worth living? Have you ever read a novel or a book where the writer um, has one of their characters fall in love and they say something like this, I never knew what life was until I saw it in your eyes. Did you say that to your spouse? Uh, this is what Jesus does. Life with Jesus is life worth living. It's, it's life with an earthly and heavenly purpose. It gives us a reason for getting up in the morning. It gives us a reason for loving others. It gives us a reason for being kind to people who don't deserve it. For, for, it, it, it gives us the reason for forgiving people that have done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. It's not an easy life, but Jesus says before his disciples and before us this morning, 
I am the way, follow me, come with me, walk with me, hand in hand, and I will show you where we need to go. I am the truth, I am the life. John 10, 10 sums up, when I think about the life, it's a verse some of you may have memorized, but Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We've lived long enough in this room to know what it looks like when we live for ourselves. Sure, we might enjoy it for a little while, but the end result is we're left feeling unfulfilled. We're left feeling that there's gotta be something more to this life. But we begin to sense what that life is like for us in Christ when we begin to serve others, when we begin to love others, when we begin to show people what it looks like to live out the hard life of being a Jesus follower. Jesus concludes by saying, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus alone is the way to God and in him we see what God is like. In him we have access to God and Jesus alone can lead humankind into the presence of God without fear and without shame. There is a benediction that I will occasionally use in the service. It's found in the last two verses of Jude, the book before Revelation. It helps summarize some things of thinking about us even having the opportunity, even having the, the privilege to stand in God's presence. And Jude writes these words at the end of his little book. He says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. I want to share two things as I close by answering this question with these two things. What difference does all of this make? Two things. One is any place God plans to be, you should want to go. Any place that God plans to be, that Jesus plans to be, you should want to go. The other thing is anytime God makes an offer, you're wise to accept it. Anytime that God makes an offer, you're wise to accept it. We talked this morning and we've asked the question and we're, it's in the back of our minds, what is heaven like? And I think Jesus would be saying, you're asking the wrong question, I think is what he may say. He could say a better question would be to ask whether or not you have reason to believe that it is your hope. That would be a better question. A verse that many of you, many of us memorized as a kid and some, all of us have hopefully heard the verse, and if not, John three sixteen it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I made the disclaimer at the beginning, I haven't been there. I don't know everything that it's like, but over these next few weeks, we're gonna look next week at some words from Paul and how Paul described heaven. And then in three weeks from now, I think it's after the fourth, we'll be looking at uh, Revelation 21, when John talks about the new heaven and the new earth. But I ask you this morning, have you put your faith in the one who has promised us direct access to God the Father, the one who has said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We're thankful that it guides us, and that, Lord, we're thankful for your presence in our lives. It doesn't just say, point us in the direction to go and we go out on our own, but Lord, you walk with us hand in hand. Father, help us to confess if we have fallen, if we have, um, uh, we, we are the ones responsible for that separation between 
us and you. Lord, help us to confess sin this morning. But Lord, we do pray that you would give us insight, that you would help us to think about things above and forgive us for when we're so consumed with earthly things. Or if there are any in here today that have never put their faith and trust in you, I pray today that they would respond. And Lord, if there are others that need renewal, Lord, may they respond to your spirit. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your son, for his life, his death, and his resurrection that gives us victory in Christ. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing hymn number 633, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. You come as you're led. If you're here today and desire church membership, I'd welcome a conversation with you about that. Let's stand and sing together.